All right, if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2 will be in verses 17 through 22 tonight. As we're continuing our, our study of preparing for persecution, um, 2 Peter has given us many warnings about false teachers. We've seen their, their definitiveness and their doom. Uh, we've seen that they indulge the flesh, they're irreverent, to higher powers, they're interested in personal gain. Um, But tonight, we will be given our final warning about false teachers here in 2 Peter 2. uh, In verses 17 through 22, we're going to see the deceptions of false teachers. Uh, So if you would, go ahead and stand for the honor of the reading of the Word of God. And we'll, we'll read these verses, and then we'll get into our study here tonight. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 17, speaking of false teachers still, says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. Uh, For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he bought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world uh, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and, and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come into this passage, God, I pray, as I do each week, for your help. God, I pray that you would empower me with the Holy Spirit to uh, articulate and to preach these words uh, with truth and with clarity. And God, I pray that you would be with the people, God, that that you would prepare their hearts to be open and receptive uh, to hear these words and, God, ultimately to heed this warning. Um, so God bless our, our pre- the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start tonight by picking up where we left off this morning, um, that salvation is a gracious gift of God. But I think that there remains an important question for us to answer. I'm not saying that Josh didn't cover everything there was to cover in the passage this morning. He he did a fine job, and I'm not trying to add to his sermon. But I think there remains a question found in other passages in the Bible about this gracious gift of God. And this, this question that remains is, can we return this gift? This free gift... Uh, from God's grace that He has, he has given to us. And, and all we have to do, that you heard this morning, is to reach up and to take it. Can you return this gift? Does God give us a receipt with this gift that allows us to, to take it back? 
Is it like a, a package that is sent with a return label, just in case you don't like it? Or, or perhaps we could ask it a different way. Can this gift be taken away from us? Uh, thinking about how, how my kids would ask that question, are there any take-backsies when it comes to this free gift of, of, of this gracious gift from God that is salvation? This is an important question that we'll be wrestling with this evening. And, and I say that and I want to start there because in recent years, there have been a number of high-profile deconversion accounts within Christianity. I wrote down just a pair of them uh, to, to give you some examples. In 2019, megachurch pastor Josh Harris, uh, he deconverted from Christianity. He, he, he left Christianity. He said, I no longer believe these things. And he left. Even last year in, in 2020, uh, YouTube sensations Rhett and Link Hugely popular, especially with young, the younger generation. Um, they were, they were YouTubers, but they were uh, professing Christians or, or claimed to be Christians. And they came out in a podcast just last year and said, we are no longer Christians. And I think there's many more. Uh, these are just some high-level prolific ones that we've seen in the last few years. And I think there's many people who actually follow these people in their quote-unquote deconversion. So what do we make of these things? Uh, I, that's a, a really important question that we have to answer and when we have to understand what do we make of these people who are so-called deconverting from Christianity? Well, I want to tell you that as a church, we unequivocally believe that you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, you cannot become unjustified, right? If you have been declared righteous before God, God cannot change his mind in declaring you righteous. He cannot unjustify, right? It's once the gavel has dropped and you've been declared justified, it's final. You cannot become unborn again. God cannot do this supernatural work in you to breathe spiritual life in you. And that can't be undone. You can't be unborn again. You cannot reverse the great exchange. Uh, you all have heard me talk about the great exchange before. I, I hope you know what that, that term means when I say it. That the great exchange is that on the cross, Jesus took our sins. And in exchange, He gave us His perfect righteousness. That is the great exchange. Our sinfulness in exchange for Christ's perfect righteousness. That great exchange, it cannot be undone. Once Jesus died on the cross, paying for our sins, saying, it is finished. It was finished. Right? That, cannot be, that cannot be undone. It's a one-time thing. So we say all of these things, but we still don't directly answer the question, how do we respond when people have these deconversion accounts? And I'll be honest with you, as persecution comes, and as hard times come, I think we're going to see more and more people who, quote-unquote, deconvert from Christianity. When hard times come, people will run away. People will turn away from the faith. But So we need to really understand, how do we deal with things like this? 
And as we always do, we turn to the Bible. And we say, what does the Bible have to say about deconversion? Uh, what does it have to say? And what we find in the Bible and what we find in 2 Peter chapter 2 is that deconversion shouldn't be all that shocking to us. Because it's exactly what the Bible tells us will happen to false teachers. Not that they are necessarily deconverting, but that they were never real to begin with. And they will ultimately walk away from the faith. They will ultimately turn back to their sin. So the deception of false teachers will go so far that they will even deceive themselves. So, but that's at the end of our passage. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So before we get to that, I want to look at the whole, the whole passage here, the totality of the deception of, of false teachers here in, in 17 through 24, or sorry, 22. I have three points for you tonight. They all start with the letter D. They all start with the letter D. So let's look at this, the deception of false teachers. The first point here is the deceptive delusion. The deceptive delusion. The first way that false teachers are deceptive is by tricking you. And, and we're going to see two delusions uh, of, of false teachers here, here in, in, in verse 17. It says, talking about these false teachers, it says, these are wells without water. Now, I want to start by telling you that when we approach the Bible, and when we study the Bible, we interpret the Bible, when we preach the Bible, we believe that you teach the Bible according to the historical, literal method of interpretation. And that's a very formal thing that I just said. But what that means is we believe the Bible was historical. And we believe the Bible is to be interpreted literally. So that when the Bible says, you know, for the most part, um, we should take it literally. But we should also take it historically in that when the Bible was written, Second Peter was written to a specific group of people. It's not written to a hypothetical group of people, but there was a real group of people who received the epistles and the letters here and they would read them. So when we interpret the Bible, we have to say, OK, well, what was meant by by God and by Peter when he was writing these words? Because what, what was meant of the people in the in the first century? How would they have understood and, and interpreted this? There was an original audience uh, for uh, every book in the Bible. And one of the greatest needs to that original audience, one of the greatest needs to the ancient Near East, was water. Water, a basic need of, of, all, of all people. If you were on a journey, the first thing you did when you found a town was you found water. You've you got to think about it. We're in the ancient Near East. It's mostly desert. Water is pretty hard to come by. So it's a precious commodity that you would find water. You would find a well. You would find a spring. You would find a fountain. Because it was critical to survive. Well, these false teachers here, they're being described as wells without water. They are empty, dried up wells. These false teachers give the false hope of, of meeting your needs and providing refreshment to you. But when you pull the bucket up, it's full of nothing 
but sand. What's the purpose of a well without water? There, there isn't one. It's, it's useless. A well without water? It's useless. My next door neighbors, they have a, they have a well. It's fake. It's, it's just for decoration. Um, and that's all it is. It's just, it's just for decoration. It's to look nice. Right? That's like these false teachers. They might look nice, but, but be, don't get too close. Because if you go over there too close and you look down in the well, you're just going to see some grass underneath it. There's a, it's not real. Right? And that's how these false teachers are being described here. They're, 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 they're wells without water. They're, they're of no substance. They're useless. They, they can provide you with nothing. But I think there are many people out there who are drinking the sand. They're pulling up the sand out of the bucket, out of the wells without water. And they think they're getting fed. They think they're getting some substance from these false teachers. They think that they're, they're drinking water. But instead, they're drinking nothing but sand. It'd be like, it'd be like a hot day. And we've had some hot days recently, upper 90s. Imagine being outside all day long. And you go in and, and you think you're going to get a, a nice, refreshing cup of water. And instead, you eat an entire pack of peanut butter crackers. But can you imagine what that would be like on a, on a dry, parched mouth? I mean, I can hardly eat peanut butter crackers when my mouth is moist, let alone when, when, you're, when you're parched. But that's what it's like here, right? You're pulling up sand and these people are drinking sand. It's, it's not refreshing. It's not meeting your needs. It's actually doing the opposite. It's making matters worse. Now, I want to tell you, Jesus isn't like this. I want to contrast these false teachers to, to Jesus here. Because Jesus is, is referred to as, as a well, as a fountain, as a spring many times in, in the Bible, right? Revelation 21.6 says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Right? Jesus is not this empty, dried up well. He is giving the fountain of the water of life freely to all who come to him. The same thing is said in John 7. John 7, 37. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus will provide for your needs more abundantly than you could ever imagine. Now, Jesus will not disappoint you with a, with a bucket full of sand and an empty well, but Jesus provides living water. Right? He provides real substance. He provides the substance that we all need. And God, uh, Jesus is, is not just meeting our, our daily needs. He's meeting our big need. He's meeting our, our salvation need. He, he, he's meeting that need that we have in what should we do with the sin that we have in our life. Right? That is the need that Jesus has. That is, that is the fountain. That is the water of life that Jesus offers to us. Not something to get us through uh, this, this, this life, but to get us to the next life. That Jesus offers us living water. Saving water. Jesus offers the ability to make us right, to cleanse us, to change us, to redeem us. So Jesus is nothing like these false teachers. 
The second delusion here that the false teachers have, their wills without water and their clouds that are carried with a tempest. Another great need in the ancient Near East was rain. Right? Most of these people are farmers and they depend upon the, the rain for their, their crops. And these false teachers are like storm clouds that, pla- that pass by without a drop of rain. They leave their followers dry and desolate without hope. Last night, my dad and I were, uh, I was, we were praying for storm clouds that would pass by without rain. We were trying to get, a, get a, some deck boards replaced. Uh, but you could see the lightning and you could hear the thunder in the distance. Right, and, and that's, what, that's what's being depicted here. That's the picture that's being depicted here is that they're, they're these farmers and they're in desperate need of rain. They need their crops to grow. They want to provide food for their children and for their family. And they need the rain. They've been praying for the rain. And they see the clouds in the distance. And they see, they hear the thunder. They see the lightning. But as the cloud approaches, it passes right on by without any refreshing, without meeting their needs whatsoever. They were once so hopeful, and now they're heartbroken. This is how the false teachers are being depicted here. That they were once so hopeful in these people and that they would offer them something of substance. But instead, they're hopeless and heartbroken. Again, so different than Jesus, right? Jesus won't let you down. Jesus won't disappoint you. So do not be lulled into thinking that these false teachers can offer you substance when in the end they only offer emptiness. Now you say, you might say, well, if this is what these false teachers offer, why are they so dangerous? Why are they so successful? Well, that leads us to the next point. Starting in verse 18, we see the deceptive desire. The deceptive desire, because the second way that false teachers are deceptive is in their desires, in the things that they entice you with. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They, the first thing they offer is an empty desire. Great swelling words. Big, fancy words. I think these false teachers have something new to teach you. Beware, church. Beware when someone says they have something new to teach you about the Bible. I, I've said it before, but we do not want anything new when it comes to the Scriptures. Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. Again, I've said it before. Innovation is the last thing that we are looking for in Christianity. We don't want something new. We want something that's very old. We want this old book full of old truth that has stood the test of time. We don't need new things in Christianity. We don't need big fancy words. We don't need innovative new things when it comes to Christianity. We don't need that sort of teaching. We don't need those sorts of preachers. You ever sit back and ask yourself, what makes a good preacher? I think this would be an interesting... We should poll the, poll the nation. Somebody should do a poll. What makes a good preacher? Right? I think you'd, you'd hear a lot of things like, well, you know, I want somebody who's funny. I want somebody who can tell a good joke. I want somebody who's good looking. 
I want an eloquent speaker. You know, all, all these different things. I think it would be interesting to, to hear uh, what our culture says makes a good preacher. Not that I ultimately care what culture says makes a good preacher, but it'd still be interesting to, to know kind of the state of our world. Because in the end of the day, we just want somebody who will speak the truth. Right? We, we, don't, we don't want somebody who has great swelling words, big fancy words. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay for someone to be well-spoken behind the pulpit, but that should not be their end goal. Um, their end goal should ultimately be someone who preaches the truth. Amen. And, you know, you can forgive them every once in a while for saying things like britches. You know, I don't think that's a big fancy word, but sometimes we say those things behind the pulpit. You know, it's okay. Some people talk like they're from Pound, Virginia. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. But I think something else that this teaches us about these false teachers, I think they're very confident in their deception. When they're using these big swelling words, I think we start to see their motives here. These people know that they are being deceptive with their words. They're not doing these things by accident. They're doing it intentionally. They craft their words very carefully so they will trick the hearers. That's very deceptive. It's very tricky. You must watch out for things like that. And it ultimately says, you say, well, what are these, these big swelling words? Again, continuing in verse 18, they're, big, they're great swelling words of vanity. Great swelling words of emptiness. Of meaninglessness. Words that sound really good on a social media post. But they don't actually mean a whole lot of anything. They have no real substance. I've seen this. I've seen this from churches. Churches that, that you know, I, I think are not, they're, they're not complete heretics, but I think they've been lulled into things like this. The, it, lulled into these great swelling words. That they, they post things on, on Facebook, and you're like, well, that's real catchy, but I don't think it actually means anything. Right? There's a lot of that out there in, in, in Christianity today. Watch out. Just because it makes a good Facebook or Instagram or, or, or tweet doesn't mean that it's full of truth. Be careful. Because that's what these false teachers are doing. They're, they're giving great swelling words of nothingness. So I think some of it is, is that they just have nothingness. I think there's another aspect uh, to this which is intentional. Actually, R.C. Sproul called this intentional ambiguity. That they are intentionally and deceitfully not telling you the full truth. That these false teachers are, are saying empty words so they won't reveal to you their heresy. So they won't reveal to you what they really believe. They're being sneaky and tricky with what they say. Very careful in how they say things. So it's an empty desire. It's not only that, it's a desire for the, the flesh, this deceptive desire that these false teachers are, are, are giving um, every giving these people says they allure through the lusts of of the flesh. That word allure here, it's to bait a hook. Now I want you to remember here who's writing this 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 book here. We're written by Second Peter. He's a professional fisherman. So if anybody knows uh, what it means to bait a hook, it's it's Peter, right? He's he's been baiting hooks his whole life. So he used this, this fishing term to describe these false teachers. They're baiting a hook. They're trying to, to trick you into, into taking the bait. 
And I think that these, these false teachers, they know what bait to use to get the fish biting. Right? They, they, you know, they're not using the cheap 99-cent worms from Walmart. Right? They, got the, they got the fancy rooster tails um, that, that they know, you know, we've got experience. We said that earlier in chapter 2. They're experienced in this area. They know how, how to get the fish biting. So what is their bait? Well, it's the lusts of the flesh. And, you know, I think that there's a, I think that there's a sexual aspect to this, um, with, with this, this, this term lusts of the flesh, uh, in that the, the false teachers are, are enticing with sexual promiscuity and, and things of that nature. I think that that's true. But I think there's also a broad-reaching application of, of this term in that these false teachers are offering the world. Right? They're offering the world and the things of the world. They're saying that you can still profess Christ and live like the rest of the world. The Bible says that you can't be a Christian and live like the rest of the world. But they're saying, no, 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 don't listen to those fundamentalists. Don't, don't listen to those closed-minded folks there at that independent Baptist church. No, 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 no. They're saying, it's okay to take Christ in one hand and the world in the other hand. And the lusts of the flesh in the other hand. But again, the Bible says something quite different here. All right, and we, we've read it before, uh, just the, either last week or the week before last, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Right? Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know these things? And it goes through this big long list of, of all the types of people that'll, that, that will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. And I think those are the exact, this list in 1 Corinthians 6. I think that is the list of the lusts of the flesh that the false teachers are using to entice people. They're using things like fornication and idolatry. They're using things like adultery and to be effeminate or to be abusers with themselves with mankind. Homosexuality. They're using thievery and covetousness and and drunkardness and reviling and extortioning. They're using all of those things to entice people to say, oh no, you can still have those things. You can still be like and live like the rest of the world. Alluring people through the lusts of the flesh. Not only that, but they're also alluring people through much wantonness. They're pandering to people's desires. These people are very feelings-oriented. And I've always took a very hard stance on, on this, rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, I've probably been a little more bullish in this at earlier points in my, in my walk with, with Christ, but I, I really am firmly commi- convic- convicted and convinced um, by the Scriptures that knowledge is the foundation of Christianity. It's about what we know. It's about what we know about God. It's what we know about, about ourselves and who we are as sinners. It's what we know about what Jesus did. It's what we know about the truths of salvation. Um, and so I, I've always kind of taken a, a pretty hard stance on it's all about what you know and not about what you feel. Now, I recognize that you know, I can go a little too far on that, as do many people who are reformed in their theology. Uh, there's a balance there. And I recognize that. I suppose it's like that's like an ounce of wisdom there. Um, it's not much, but it's a, it's a little bit. But these false teachers, they don't care anything 
about, about theology. They don't care anything about what you know. They just want to get their worship on. They want to, they, all they care about is all, it's all about the feelings. It's all about the, the felt needs. It's all about the wantonness as is being described here. And it says, it goes on to say here in verse, at the end of verse 18, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. This is a tough uh, little phrase to, to interpret. Uh, mo- most theologians and, and people who have interpreted this uh, seem to agree that this is talking about those who have barely escaped. That's what the uh, kind of the, the clean escaped here. Um, those that were clean escaped from those who live uh, in error. Uh, most, of, most people say that means that they barely escaped. So this is talking about people who are trying to better themselves through Christianity. Not necessarily people who are saved, but just people who are trying to clean up their life um, within Christianity. And what this is talking about and why this is placed here in verse 18 is that these are the vulnerable people that will take the bait of false teachers. Right, those who are uh, who who are who've just who are just trying to clean up their life. They're maybe interested in Christianity. They've been to church a few times. These are the people who take the bait of these false teachers, or these are the people who the false teachers will go after. Right? Think about them as lions who are hunting gazelle. They don't go after the fastest gazelle. They go after the injured gazelle in the back. Uh, false teachers hunt down those who are broken, who are lonely who are downtrodden, those who are looking for an experience or looking for acceptance in the church. These are the people that the false teachers are ultimately striving to deceive. They're the easy pickings. And it's, it's terrible, but, but it's the reality. That's who they're going after. And they also have this deceptive desire to offer a freedom. Verse number 19, it says, While they promise liberty or, or freedom, they themselves are servants of corruption. So these false teachers are offering freedom. You say, well, what kind of freedom are they offering? We like freedom. We're in America. Land of the free. Let's, let's hear what they have to say. Well, these false teachers are offering freedom from judgment. They're offering a freedom to sin, a license to sin. They're offering to do what makes you happy. They offer those who are struggling with sin an escape to continue sinning. This is so different than the freedom that we're offered in Christ, right? We, we, we say often that we have liberty in Christ, we have freedom in Christ. And, and what that means is it's not that, you know, you do everything you can um, without sinning, but, but everything you get to do because of Christ. Romans 8 tells us about this. Romans 8.21 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we've been delivered out of the bondage of corruption, out of being slaves to sin, into the now the liberty of the children of God. We're made free in Christ. But that's not what these false teachers are offering. They're offering the freedom to sin. They're saying, no, 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 no. You can still see it. I, as I was reading a bunch of deconversion stories this week, um, 
I noticed that an alarming trend in most of these deconversion stories, they all talked about freedom. Freedom was almost the, it was probably the most common word in all of these deconversion stories. They talked about, and I wrote one of them down here. This, this person said, the reason, why, why did you deconvert from Christianity? This lady said, it was freedom. There was no oppression of someone watching over me, influencing my actions. My mind and my belief is my own. How I want uh, it in the way I want it. I think for me and I think for all. I do not think for God. I think to be. Simply put, it is freedom in the greatest form. The freedom of knowledge. This freedom that these false teachers offer is very appealing to the world. They want, they want some me. right? They want the freedom to be me. And these false teachers offer that. They say, you won't be, you won't be bound um, by uh, some book or some church or some lord. There's no lordship here. We only offer freedom. Free to live however you want to live. But, there's a big but here. They offer freedom. But they themselves are servants of Corruption. They are promising peace where there is no peace. They can't offer liberty because they themselves are slaves. This would be like a slave telling someone, give up your freedom and come over here and be a slave with me. That's what's happening here. It's not freedom. It's the complete opposite. Moving on here. It it, it says, um, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he bought or brought in bondage. Sin will enslave you. It will. And these false teachers are controlled by, enslaved to their sinful nature. And if you follow a false teacher, be ready to be a slave. They might offer you freedom, but they are ultimately a slave and they will make you a slave. You'll be a slave to them and a slave to their sin. And I don't want to tell you, and I want to warn you, that sin is powerful and dangerous. Sin will take you to places that you never imagined you would go. There are things, I, I wrote it down here as, there are the hidden fees of sin. Right? You, you guys know, you get a cell phone bill, and you know your cell phone bill is like $75, but then you would pay $90. You're like, what What happened? I, I just I paid a, a telecommunications tax and, and a, all, these, all these hidden fees that you have in, in your bills. And you're like, where did these hidden fees come from? I'm going to switch to T-Mobile where there's no hidden fees. Uh, right? You, you think things like that. There are hidden fees to sin. Sin has far-reaching consequences. You end up paying for things that you never imagined you were getting into. It's a slippery slope when it comes to sin. Sin costs you more than you ever imagined. And this is what these people are enslaved to. They're servants of of corruption. So do not be deceived by the words, these empty, the empty words of, of the false teachers, the, their temptations, their false sense of freedom. Because ultimately, this sin and this deception will, will catch up with these false teachers one day. And we see that here in the final point. The demise, the deceptive demise 
of, of the false teachers. Uh, because the final way that these false teachers are deceptive is really in their demise. They're deceiving even themselves. Let's look at verse 20. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we start here by, by seeing um, that these false teachers, they have somehow escaped the pollutions of the world. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, literally, it means bad smells. They escaped the bad smells of the world. That's what that word means, pollutions. It means bad smells. And so what we're, what we're taught here is that these teachers, these false teachers, they're not living in open pollution. But at the same time, this doesn't necessarily mean that these people are, are saved. It just means that they aren't you know, openly living in abhorrent sin. Um, they've escaped the pollution. And, and it goes on to say here, and that they've escaped the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This knowledge word here, it's a very general term for knowledge. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily a deep, intimate knowledge, but rather a general term meaning to acknowledge. Uh, that these people have, uh, they know of Christ, um, but don't necessarily believe in Christ. Uh, they have religion, but perhaps not Christ. They're not necessarily firmly rooted in the truth, they're not standing on Christ as the solid rock. They don't have Christ as their firm foundation. Honestly, what's being depicted here is they're not necessarily true converts. Because we go on in verse 20, and we see the ultimate proof of that. Right? They've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The ultimate proof of saving faith is endurance. The Bible teaches us that over and over and over again. How will you know if someone is the real deal? Well, do they endure to the end? Right? Do they finish the race? And these false teachers didn't pass the test. It says that they, that they, that they, they did something, they escaped the pollutions, but shortly thereafter, they were entangled therein and overcome. Entangled here, I like this word. Um, it, it means to weave. Um, and and I know you guys might not know anything about weaving, but it's what I do every day for a living, so I, I kind of geek out when I see words like this. And the weaving process is, 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 is magnificent, it's marvelous, it's, it's amazing how, how that it works. Uh, because what you do is, so you typically lay out 1,000 yarns. Um, and you lay them all out in straight lines, and it's called, you make a beam. Um, and so you make all these yarns, and so that's how the, the, my suit jacket or anything that's woven would have been, would have been made. Uh, so they laid out these thousand yarns, and then, and then they would throw other yarns across in a, in a kind of perpendicular direction to, to interweave these two together. So you'd have the thousand and then these other yarns that are kind of interweaving. Um, so what that results is you have thousands of yarns, uh, that go into one piece of fabric. Now, ultimately, it just looks like a piece of fabric to everyone else. I mean, unless you look really closely, it, you say, well, cool, it's, it's a shirt, it's a piece of fabric. I'm not impressed in any way, shape, or form that there are thousands of yarns in here. But this is an interesting term here, right? Because these people, these false teachers who are entangled and, and overcome, 
They have joined the world to the point where they are just like one yarn out of a thousand. That you cannot distinguish them. To, it just looks like they are a normal part of the rest of the world. They just look like a fabric. They don't look like a, a yarn that stands out like a light in the midst of the darkness. No, they just look like one out of a thousand. They look like everybody else. They're entangled and overcome here. I think this is the opposite to endurance. This is the opposite to perseverance. This is the opposite of being an overcomer. Right? That's how the Bible describes Christians that we persevere, that we endure, that we are overcomers? No. These people are overcome by the world. Sin has prevailed and overwhelmed their life. They put on a religious facade for a season, but eventually their true colors show. And it goes on here. It says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Uh, so they are now worse off than they were before. Because now uh, they are in store for a greater judgment in hell. Right? The harshest judgment in hell is reserved for those who have been given the most opportunities. And like these false teachers that have been described here. And we, I think we've said it before. The last place that you want to go to hell from is, a, is from a church that preaches the truth each and every Sunday. You don't want to go to a church from there because that is the, the harshest judgment reserved for people who have heard the truth over and over and over again and still said no. And it goes on to say, and this is a, a harsh saying here, in verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It would have been better for you to just reject it outright than to fake it, is what, is what that's saying there. right? To not know, it really literally means to reject. So it's saying, it would be better for you to reject the gospel openly than to be a, a fake like these false teachers are. And I think this is why Jesus was constantly telling his people to count the cost before following him. Count the cost before following me. Because there is a, 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 a strict judgment, a harsher judgment reserved for the fake. And I think the word here that we really need to understand, if we want to understand what's going on with these false teachers here, is, is turn. Uh, we, we see that here in, in verse 21. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after uh, they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What does that word turn mean? That's big implications on how we interpret this passage. Well, to turn means to just return to the old way of life. That's the basic uh, definition of this, of this word. These people appeared to be changed. They were connected to the church. But they did not endure till the end. They professed with their mouths, but they didn't finish the race. First John chapter 2 tells us about these people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. 
I think the Bible uses the term apostate here. And I think that's a right word to use. It's, again, who's, who, what is an apostate? Well, it's, I mean, the very basic definition is somebody who deconverts or somebody who, who turns away. Someone like Judas. Right? We thought they were of us, but then they turned and they went away. They returned to their old way of life. It doesn't mean that they, that they were really, and we know and we understand that those people were just proving they weren't saved to begin with. But it's not easy to see these people, right? These people aren't wearing t-shirts saying, Hello, my name is Apostate. I will turn from the faith to return to my wicked ways. I mean, think about Judas for a second, right? Judas hung out with some godly people. Hung out with the godliest of people, the twelve disciples. We'll take it a step further. He hung out and lived with God. Right? That's, that's pretty good, right? Judas said godly things. Get this, Judas preached on, on, the, on the missionary journeys there. When, when Jesus sent the disciples out on this quick little missionary trip, Judas was one of the ones that got sent out. He, he did godly things, Right? He was even good with money. He'd get 20 pieces of silver pretty easily. I mean, if Judas was alive today, we'd probably make him a megachurch pastor. I mean, he... But at the end, what happened? What happened? Did he endure till the end? Did he finish the race? No. He betrayed his Savior. His true colors showed. He, 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 he turned back to the sin. Hebrews speaks so much of, of this, of, of apostates. and um, Hebrews 6 um, says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, so speaking of these apostates as being once enlightened, speaking of them as having tasted of the heavenly gift, speaking of them as they were, they were partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and, and the powers of the world to come, but they fell away. And and they and it goes on to say how bad they are because they they put the son of God to open shame. I think that's where we get the the stricter judgment for them. Hebrews ten as well uh, speaks of of apostates as well. Speaking of them in verse twenty six as people who sin willfully after they've received the knowledge of the truth. It says there remains no more sacrifice for sins. For there's a certain fearful looking for of the judgment of fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Again, it's a strict judgment for those who would turn away. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Oh, of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? and have counted the blood of the covenant, uh, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and have done despite unto the spirit of grace and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Or oh, Sorry, sorry. Was, turn the wrong page there. Uh, for, we, uh, for we know him uh, that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, uh, saying the, saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So there's this dangerous and, 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 and more serious 
punishment for, for these people to where it would ultimately be, have been better for them not to have known the knowledge of the Lord. Not to have known the way of righteousness. And then he finishes here in, in verse number 22 with a proverb. Uh, he, he says, But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Uh, I've told you before, the dog is the lowest animal in this culture. It's a scavenger. It's a mongrel. I'm not like our dogs today. But, no matter how cute your dog today might be, it still does some really gross things. Right? And one of the things that, that dogs do that is just appalling is they eat their own vomit. And that's what's being described of these false teachers here. They're returning to their own vomit. This is how disgusting it is for someone to turn away from the truth. This proverb is, is, from, is, is a quote from Proverbs 26.11. Uh, to finish off that verse, Proverbs 26.11, it also says, A fool returns to his folly. I think that's appropriate here as well. How, how foolish is it for someone to turn away from the truth? And then we have one more here. It's the sow or the pig that was washed uh, returns to her wallowing in the mire or the mud. This one's not quoted in the Proverbs. It's probably a cultural saying, but it's a pig if that's been washed, that's been cleaned, that returns to rolling around in the mud. Filthy, dirty, unclean pig. How nasty is it for someone to turn away from the truth and to go back to the mud. And ultimately there's, there's judgment that comes. I've, I've said it. We End of verse 17. Right? The midst of darkness is reserved forever. Uh, these false teachers and, and all who turn away from the truth, they'll ultimately be punished. Right? These are the people who will say in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not? Right? Did we not do all these things for you? Did we not have these great swelling words that we said about you? Did we not do all these things for you? Did we not have all these this large following of people for you? And then Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. But I think there's a warning here for us as well, right, to check your hearts. Make your calling and election sure. I heard a quote this week, and I think it's pretty profound. God uses the warnings of Scripture to cause His people to persevere. And I think that that's true. Uh, that we, we talk about the perseverance of, of the saints or God keeping our salvation in His almighty hand. And that's true. And, but, you know, I think God uses normal means Ordinary means to cause His people to ultimately persevere. Sometimes it's an obscure passage in Second Peter on a Sunday night. That perhaps God is using this as a warning for you in this room to take a look at your own life and to check yourself, to make your calling and election sure. 
Because the false teachers are out there. And they're dangerous. They're deceptive. And they're out to get you. And they're out to take you with them. We see their end here of the false teachers. It ends in demise. That is the end of all who follow false teachers as well. Perhaps they are a part of Christianity for a season, but ultimately they'll return to the mud. They'll return to the vomit. Right? They'll apostatize. They'll leave the faith. So those false teachers are out there. And they would deceive anyone and everyone if not for the grace of God. Even us here today, the faithful few that are here on, on Sunday nights listening to like a fifth sermon on false teaching. If not for the grace of God, they would deceive you as well. So Christians, you must guard yourselves from the deceptions of these false teachers. That pandering to the, to the lusts of the flesh and, and your sinful desires of the flesh. But I think ultimately these deceptions of false teachers all stem from the fact that they aren't saved. They're fakes. Right? That's the reasoning behind all of this. They don't have the true salvation that we heard of this morning out of Ephesians 2. That by grace through faith in Christ salvation. It's so beautifully depicted in Ephesians 2. They don't have that. And that's why they are out to, to deceive. So we must be careful. We must guard ourselves. But there is good news today. God is still powerful enough to save the dogs and to save the pigs. Right? Yes. They're, they're returning. The dog is returning to its vomit and the, the sow that was washed in her wallowing. But we still hope in Christ that He is still powerful enough to save even the dogs and even the pigs. That's where we were at one point in time. All of us, anyone who was saved today, you were once a dog, a pig wallowing around in the mire of sin, going after your flesh, your sinful desires. And God saved us. So if that's you today, if you're still in the flesh and following after these false teachers, I, I urge you today to, to look to Christ, for He offers salvation. Salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So look to Christ and guard yourself from the deceptions of false teachers. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word and, and for your warnings against false teachers. God, I believe that, that your warnings are, are grace to us all. Uh, God, we don't, we don't deserve to be warned um, of, of these dangerous false teachers. Um, but God, we thank you for that. And God, I, I pray, um, God, that you, would, that you would empower us all with the Holy Spirit to see these false teachers and to be warned. And, and God, I pray that you would prick our hearts uh, that when these false teachers come, that we would say, there's something about that that's just not right. God, I pray that you would, you would help us to be, to be a discerning people, uh, a guarding people uh, against all the falsehood that's in the world. So help us with this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.